Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. We uh, started last week a series on the parables, and uh, I hope that, um, you know, I was talking to a preacher friend of mine this week, and we talked about, it's always interesting when you start a new series that sometimes you have to do some foundational work, and uh, foundational work is not always the fun work, and it's not always the most pleasant of sermons to hear, because it's just, you know, it's just foundation, you know, you got to lay the lay the foundation of where you're going and what it's all about so i hope you got something from uh the sermon last week as we sort of introduced why did jesus preach in parables and one of the things that i want to remind you of as we think about parables today is this thing that i kept saying last week and that is this that every parable has a spiritual lesson in it but there's one lesson they're not multi-dimensional that is we're not going to look at these parables and say we know there's 15 different lessons in this parable. It's just like in the parable we're going to look at today. There's one theme that runs through the parable the whole time. And as you think about that theme as it runs through the parable, you have to begin to ask yourself, where am I in this story? You know, this, does this theme apply to my life? Am I this kind of person? And so we'll, we'll look at that as we go through and we'll begin to discover. You know, one of the things I did say last week, parables in the Bible, by the way, are mostly found in Matthew in Luke's Gospels. There's 31 in Matthew 36 in Luke's Gospel. John only records two parables. Mark records eight parables, but every single one of Mark's parables are found also in Matthew and Luke. And so when you begin to think about parables, uh, it would be a good, if you ever decided to think about parables alone, to just go through the book of Luke. I mean, Luke is everywhere you go. There's yeah, Jesus is telling a parable. He's telling another parable. He's telling another parable. It's just a really good place to go if you want to learn more about parables. And so we're going to take our first parable this morning out of Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. So if you begin to look at the text there, uh, we'll, we'll begin to look at those uh, texts together. The first parable I've chosen is one that's probably uh, misrepresented and probably misunderstood by a lot of people. But I think you'll find as we go through the text that the theme of that parable stands out very well. And I want to talk about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Uh, We are, most of us, probably familiar with the story, the narrative. But look at the parable as it's found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, verse 9. Listen to what the Bible says. Also, he spoke this parable to some. Now, notice what he's about to do. Who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. He's got his eyes open, looking around. Verse 12, I fast twice a week. I give tithes in all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not such as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
Jesus wraps it up. I tell you the truth. This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Wow. Think about the text. Think about what Jesus is giving us in this text. Well, let me just break it down for you three ways. First of all, what is the purpose of this parable? Well, we find it in verse 14. Look at verse 14, or excuse me, verse 9. Look at verse 9, and it says, here's what it says. Also, he spoke this parable to some, now he tells us why he does it, right? To some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. <laughs> you know, what Jesus is getting at is that there are some who are more concerned about their religion than they are about a relationship with God. They, they have trusted in themselves and despised other people. I looked up the word religion because I wanted to see what it, how it was defined today. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary Online says this, Religion is the service and worship of God or the supernatural. Or another definition, the second definition there was the commitment or devotion to religious faith or observance. The third one down really resonated. A personal set or institutionalized system of religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices. You know, when you begin to think about the word religion, it really can be used positively. And as a matter of fact, if you read any of the old writers, the old authors, if you read after Charles Spurgeon, Spurgeon will often refer to the Christian faith as our religion. So at one time, that word really had a positive meaning in community, in the church. But as the years have gone on, as has a lot of things, the word really has become today used either to define us as Baptists, Methodists, Church of God, whatever we may have as our denominational title, or it has been referred to as a slur against some kind of religion. A Baptist, a Methodist, whatever, and down the road it goes. So the word is either positive or negative. Here, Jesus is going to help us, and I'm going to try to use this word this morning in, in both ways, I guess, as we sort of go through. But, but I want you to understand that there is a danger with religion. And there are two specific dangers with religion. And they are found here in the opening words of Jesus in verse 9. Here they are. Number one, the first danger is this, that religion promotes self-righteousness. Listen to how Jesus said in verse 9, And he spoke this parable to some who, knows these words, trusted in themselves that they were righteous. See, religion, what religion says is, look at me. I'm all right. I'm good. That is, I am the standard by which you ought to judge your life. And so they trusted in themselves. They thought by the word righteous were meaning they thought they had a right standing with God. They thought that God was pleased with them. God was happy with them. God accepted them on the merit of their self-righteousness. Religious people, you'll find, will work themselves to the bone. 
that they will try to prove themselves righteous before God by the righteous acts that they do. Religion is what we talked about when we talked about being a Jesus follower. And we said that, that we've identified Jesus followers for far too long in the church by the things that we do and don't do and by the things that we know when it should be defined by the relationship in which we have. And so when we begin to think about religion, when we think about self-promotion of ourselves, it has to be the acts and the things that we boast in and the things that we think we're good at that make us feel comfortable in the presence of God. And so this religion promotes that. But yet Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, 6, that all of our righteous deeds, all that we try to do is as filthy rags before God. That is that on the merit of myself... God will never accept me. Wow, think about that. Think about that. That's where this text is going. This is where Jesus is getting at. Jesus is saying that here's the problem. We got two people. One is about religion, and his religion says, I am self-righteous. That is, I don't need anything from God because I am already righteous. I live a certain way. I do certain religious acts. Therefore, God has to. You get that? Has to receive me. Hey, there's folks like this in the world today, may I say. They think exactly this way. They think that their righteousness comes from themselves. I never stole anything. I never killed anyone. I pay my taxes. I hear it all the time when I begin to share the gospel with people. They're just like what Jesus is saying, that he's preaching this parable to them who think that they trust in themselves to be righteous, to be right with God. But clearly the Bible is clear that there is only one who is ever righteous, and his name is Jesus Christ. And if you and I want to be righteous, we have to be like Paul, who in Philippians chapter 3 said this very thing. Yet indeed, I also count all things, he says, for loss, for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom, this is what he says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, listen to it, be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which this guy has, which is from the law, that is the works, but that which is found through faith in Christ. The righteousness, listen, the righteousness which is from God by faith. See, true righteousness is found in Jesus Christ and he alone. You and I must understand this morning that as Jesus is giving this parable, he is speaking to us to evaluate ourselves. And he's speaking to those who are around to evaluate themselves. Am I a type of person when I try to stand before God? Am I doing that on my own merit because I'm standing in a religion rather than in a relationship with Jesus Christ? That's some hard words, friends. That's some difficult words for us this morning. As we think about the text of scripture, as we think about this first parable. So religion promotes self-righteousness, which is, as Paul would say in Galatians, not a righteousness at all. That is that God will not accept self-righteous people. The second danger, though, that we find when we think about religion is that not only does religion promote this self-righteousness, but it also promotes an attitude of superiority. 
Listen to what Jesus said in verse 9. And he spoke this parable to them that some trusted in themselves that they were righteous. There it is, justification by righteousness. But listen to what he says, and despised others. See, here's what the religious person does. The religious person is always looking down on other people. They're always criticizing other people. Why? Because I have to look at other people, Mike, in order to judge them, to make them look more inferior to me. So I boast myself up. So I look good to God. Amen? Think about it. And that's what religion does. And here's the danger of that. The danger is, is that the standard that which they're using is themselves. They're not using the Bible. They're not using what God would say. They're not using maybe what even the preacher would say. They're using their own standard of expectation. The danger of religion, self-promotion, self-righteousness, superiority complex. But when you think about that, can I just say something that's going to make a lot of people mad that you'll get over it when you go to lunch and eat extra food? And that is this, unfortunately, this attitude that we're talking about in verse 9 has crept into the church. We got Christians who are living religion and not in relationship. I hate to say it, but it's a reality. And I cringe when I say it because I know that if somebody goes back and listens to the sermon online, or maybe there's somebody here today, you're not going to like that. I may get an email that may be ugly or somebody may make an appointment to come see me in my office and tell me it was inappropriate, but that'll be okay. I can live with it, but I'm here to tell you it's here in the church today. Some are living religiously. Now I must be very careful because I never want to tread on shaky ground and fall through. It's always tough as a preacher, isn't it, brother? It's always tough. But sometimes you feel led that God wants to lead me down a path, and I have to sometimes take that course whether I like to or not. And don't get me wrong, as we think about being a Christ follower, there are, listen, there are standards. There is a morality that comes with being a Christ follower. There are some righteous acts that come with being a, a Jesus follower. There are those things that are expectations that God has of us as Jesus followers. But understand, they are not religion. They are not based on merit or or me gaining any merit from doing them with God. My merit only comes through the cross of Christ. But listen, what we have done in the church, though, is we have flipped it on its head and said, rather than it being a byproduct of my relationship with Jesus, we've made those the standard. And the problem with that is we have taken this blessed thing called a relationship with Jesus Christ and we've turned it into a religion. We got to be careful. Amen? We got to be careful. Because listen, what's happened is the church has lost the culture war. Do you know why we lost the culture war? Because we stood in our religion and not in relationship with Jesus. I'm about to really make you mad. Just hold on, okay? Because when I examine it, when I look at it, I look at my own life. Can I just tell you my own life? I have been very critical of others who have not walked like me. I have been very critical of the world. I thought somewhere along my young journey as a preacher, I thought if I just get up and I just preach hellfire and brimstone, and if I just preach at the world and tell our church, hey, let's boycott this, let's be against this, let's say something about this, that somehow, some way, we would change culture, we would change the world. And you know what I found? It didn't. 
Culture kept pushing itself further and further and further and further and further away from the gospel and further and further away from the Lord. And you know what I have to say today? I have to say, you know what we ought to be doing to the world? Is we ought to be telling them there's a Savior who saves. There's a Savior who loves them regardless of the lifestyle they lead. Whether they're an atheist or whether they're some kind of agnostic or whether they're even some kind of other faith that's not a saved faith. There is a Savior who saves. There is a Jesus who died for them, who rose for them. And he wants to have a relationship with them. And you don't have to serve. Listen, you don't have to serve the the God of your flesh. You don't have to serve the God of your imagination. You don't have to serve the God of a false religion. There's a living God. And he wants to invade your life. And he wants to be a part of your life. See, friends, we have turned our Christianity into a religion. And somehow we've got to break free. And we have to let the world know that we love them. It's interesting that what changed my heart is I began to read through the through Corinthians, the first and second Corinthian books. You begin to read through them. You find that Paul has an awful lot to say to the Corinthian church about the way they behave themselves. But in the midst of talking about the Corinthian church, he talks about the world. And you know what he said about the world? He said, I want you to understand, you ought to stay away from. And he gives a whole list of people, uh, extortioners, uh, adulterers, idol worshipers, homosexuals, all these people we need to stay away from. He gives us a whole list, and he comes to the bottom of the list, and here's what he says. It really blew my socks off. And I'm not talking about those in the world. I'm talking about those in the church. Am I right, David? It's exactly what he says. A so-called brother or sister in the Lord. See, what he's saying is in the church, we shouldn't have extortioners, idolaters. We shouldn't have homosexuals. We shouldn't have all these things in the church. If you're truly born again, you're going to flee from those sins, right? Because out of your relationship with Jesus Christ, you forsake it. But the reality is, the whole time the church is pointing the finger at the world, we're tolerating the stuff inside the church. That's idolatry. That's hypocrisy. See, that's the religion that Jesus is preaching against. Jesus is saying there are those who trust us. We have trusted that we're better than the world. And because we're better than the world, we point the finger at them and say, Hey, bucko, you better get your life right. You better put down the drugs. You better put down the alcohol. You better quit same-sex dating. You better do this. You better do that. We point the finger at them. And all the while, they say, we don't want any part of that. And the sad reality is that all along we had the answer to the problem. It's faith in Jesus Christ. We had the answer to the blessed problem. There is a Savior. Your life's not whole. You want a whole life? Let me tell you something. You don't have to trust in drugs. You know why? Because there's a Jesus who so filled your life, you don't need drugs. Amen? Y'all understand what I'm saying? I got the point across? Amen. I need to move on. <laughs> um, he's preaching his purpose is to help us to understand that it's not about religion. Religion is that self-trusting. Religion is that putting others down. We, we would say that it is trying to have justification, trying to be right with God by your own standard. And Jesus is going to blow that in the water. So let's look at the parable. Listen to what Jesus said. First of all, notice the self-righteous, superior attitude of the Pharisee. Look at verse 10. Two men went down to the temple to pray. Now notice there's two things happening here. There is two men going down at the same time to the temple to pray. 
There were certain times of day they would pray. Three times a day the Jews would go to the temple and they would have a prayer time. And so there's three times a day they're going to go. So on one of those occasions, we're not told when, they're going down to the temple. These two guys, they're going at the same time to pray. He says, so there were two guys who went down to the pray. One a Pharisee <laughs> and the other a tax collector. Now, understand what people are listening, they're automatically in their mind saying, oh, I get it. There is this guy who is religiously right with God who is going down to the temple because that's what God requires to pray. He is religiously right. That would be like saying the preacher is going down to the, t- to the, to the church to pray. All right? So, so here it is, the religious guy, the guy that's respected in the community, who is the religious leader in the community, who everybody thought was right with God, is going down to the temple to pray. You get it? And then there is this tax collector. Now, understand, tax collectors were worse off, listen, were worse off than dogs in the society. Now, I want you to understand, we have dogs in our home, and we love our dogs, and we treat our dogs like people. The Jews did not. They were despised. They were the ones that ate the trash. They, they were despised things. So here is a tax collector. Listen, he is despised. He is worse off. Listen, he is worse off than a Samaritan. <laughs> you want to talk about racial stuff? Let me tell you. And so here he is. They're both going down. So in the minds of people, you already have set up in the mind. We got a righteous guy. He's awesome with God. <laughs> we got a guy who, yeah, he better be going and praying because he needs it. That's in the minds and the attitude of the people as they're listening. Can you, can you imagine? You see how Jesus is setting them up? I love it. It's great how he does that. And then he goes on and he gives us the rest of the parable. So look at it. First of all, there's this Pharisee. Verse 11. Notice, first of all, his posture. He says, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. That word stood doesn't mean just to stand because the idea is that they would stand and pray. We, we, we kneel to pray, but listen, the posture there in the temple was not necessarily a kneeling praying time. It was oftentimes a time where they would, stood, they would stand and they would pray near the sanctuary, all right, near the Holy of Holies. And so they would go into the sanctuary and they would pray. But the idea of this guy standing is that he goes to the front. He's better than everybody else. See, y'all don't get the back seat thing. You want, if you think you're better than everybody else, come sit in the front. Amen? <laughs> y'all come sit in the front. That's where the prime real estate is. This is where the spit comes out and gets on you. Amen? <laughs> but listen, so he goes to the front uh, and, and he's praying. All right? Now notice not only his posture as he goes front. But notice, <laughs> notice his prayer. I love his prayer because the New King James says it well. And it really defines the, the Greek words for us. It says he stood and he put, uh, and prayed thus within himself. Notice this. It doesn't say that he was praying to God. He's praying to himself. It's kind of interesting that he's giving God a monologue of how good he is. It's really kind of interesting. I mean, literally the Greek words tell us that he's not praying to God. He is. He's praying to himself. That's what Jesus is trying to get across. So he's praying to himself. Notice his prayer. He stood and he prayed. And he said, God, I thank you. Well, nothing wrong with thanking God, right? He says that I am not like other men. By the way, there's not anything necessarily wrong with saying I'm not like other men. Thank God that he saved me, and I'm thankful he saved me. Amen? I'm thankful I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I was thinking about that this morning. I was listening to uh, a song on the, on the, uh, on the iPhone, and, and the guy was talking about how 
God ran to me. That love moved first. I'm thankful that God found me in New Jersey and saved me. I'm so thankful that he did that. I didn't have parents who went to church. I didn't have parents who talked about Jesus. I mean, even when I asked for a Bible, I got one of those giant family Bibles. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm thankful that God found me. So I'm thankful that God, I'm not like I used to be at least. Amen. He says, so I thank God I'm not like other men. He says, extortioners, unjust, idolaters. Now he's going for big sins. He's not even talking about little sins. He's not talking about gossip. He's not talking about the pride in his heart. He's talking about the big sins. Hey God, I'm thankful I never killed anybody. I'm thankful I never cheated on my taxes. God, I'm thankful that I'm a good person. Boy, I hear it all the time. And then he cuts his eyes back as he's looking around in the temple to see who's there, examining to see how good he really is. And he says, and even like this tax collector, scum of the earth, tax collector. Do you know why the church won't reach some people? Because that's the way our attitude is. We look at them and I, I can remember when tattoos were not the end thing. Everybody gets tattoos these days. Amen. I'm thinking about going and getting one. That way when I wear shorts, I, I want a tree right there. Psalm 1 that goes down and the roots go into my feet. You know, and there's like a string there. Man, that would be so cool, wouldn't it? You know what I'm saying? I told Tim, that's what I'm doing. But then somebody told me, I don't know how true it is. Somebody got tattoos, tell me. But somebody told me that, you know, in your feet is probably one of the most painful places to get tattoos. So that's out. All right. And, and, and by the way, anybody listening to this, I don't have any tattoos, okay? I really don't. I'm too afraid of needles, so I wouldn't go do that. But, you know, but I remember when tattoos came. But I had people in my church come to me and say, Oh, Pastor, so so I got a tattoo. Really? That's awesome. You know, that's for them. I mean, that's, you know, that's not, you know, we act like that's a cardinal sin. You know, we're like, wow. You know, or they go, Hey, Pastor, so-and-so, I saw them smoking. Oh, you did? Wow, okay. So now we're going to start judging people. I will say, hey, guess what? I just caught you gossiping. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on, people. You know, I mean, it's like we, we have this. Pre- so these guys look back and he, he's looking at I'm glad I'm not like this person. But I want you to notice lastly, as we think about this guy, I want you to notice his personal pronouns because he uses the word I five times. Notice the text. Go back. Verse nine, uh, verse 11. And the Pharisee stood and he prayed thus with himself. God, I, number one, thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I, notice his religious act. I fast twice a week, by the way. They were only required once a week to fast. He fasted twice. Ooh, isn't he great? He's so spiritual. And then not only that, he said, I give tithes of all that I possess. And there were certain tithes they had to give. He didn't have to do everything he possessed. There were certain tithes required of them that he could have gave. But here he is. So, man, he's over the top, David. I give everything. Come out. Look at me. Oh, God, I can just see it now, you know. Him holding his robes and, you know, like some Christians do in church. I'm just spiritual. You know, well, bless God, brother. You may not be as spiritual as you think you are. Well, I know the Bible. Well, it's not, the Bible doesn't know you. <laughs> Amen. You know, if you read the Bible, the Bible will be reading you, amen? And the Bible will be changing you. Anyway, I need to move on before I get in trouble. But I want you to notice the second thing. By the way, you only get in trouble with the religious people, amen? That's all Jesus got in trouble with was religious people. (laughs) Don't roll your eyes at me. (laughs) Don't roll your eyes at me. The contrite and humble tax collector. Notice his posture, though. It's totally different, isn't it? You totally see a different attitude, a different character in this man. And the tax collector standing afar off. He didn't even move close to the altar. 
He didn't even, he didn't even come. I mean, he was a back row Baptist, amen? So you guys are in good company back there. I mean, my wife sits back there, amen? So I got to be careful. But anyway, so, you know, he didn't, he didn't even feel worthy. Listen, he didn't even feel worthy to move close to God. Now we're talking about something. Amen? Now we're beginning to make a transition. The tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eye. He wouldn't even look to heaven. And then notice what he does. He smites his breast, beats himself. That's contrition, by the way. In the Bible, when somebody beats their breast, that means they're contrite. They feel undone. They feel hopeless. And so this guy, he beats his breast and he says to God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What does he do? He confesses. He says, God, I realize I'm nothing. I need you. That's a whole lot different than the Pharisee. The Pharisee's like, hey, God, just want to let you know, I'm the best you got. I'm the best you got. Tax collector says, God, I'm the scum of the earth. I know it. You know, we, we make our hymns. We love singing hymns, but, you know, one of our hymns, we've changed it. Because he used to say when it was first written that such a worm as I, we're too politically correct these days. We don't want to call ourselves worms. We don't want to admit to God how much of the scum of the earth we really are. And thankful that he would save us and redeem us from that, that he would set us up on high. We didn't set ourselves up. He set us up, but yet sometimes we act like we did. And so Jesus is giving us this parable, and he says, notice one is, goes down to his house. Notice as it comes to the end, what's the principle? Notice verse 14 as we wrap it up. He says, I tell you, this man, what man? The tax collector. This man went down to his house. Notice the word justified. You know what that word means? Here's, here, remember we told you at the beginning, Jesus told this parable about those who trusted in themselves, the religious people, right? They trusted themselves. Why? They had their own set of righteousness. And their righteousness, by the way, does not save them. This is a parable. Listen, this is a parable about who's truly saved, who's not. This is a parable about justification. And so here it is. The Bible says that this man, the man who said, God, I am nothing but a worm. God needs you. He's not looking at the Pharisee. He's not looking at his brother next to him. He's looking into his own heart and saying, God, if I were to die right now, I'm going to bust hell wide open. And he says, God, I need you to be merciful to me. And he throws himself upon the mercy of God. And Jesus said he went down to his house justified. That is, in a right standing with God. That is, listen, he was in the courtroom of mercy, and he pleaded the mercy of God, and God brought the gavel down and said, justified, you're mine. Think about that. That's so awesome, isn't it? That all you had to do was come to a place in your life where you repented of your sin because you realized how horrible and gross and ugly it was. And when you repented of your sin and you pleaded the mercy of God, you got the mercy of God and the grace of God brought into your life that saved your soul. That is, that justified you. That made you right with God. Wow. Not because you deserved it. Not because you tithed. Not because you prayed. Not because you went to church. Has nothing to do with what that guy prayed about. Has to do with humbling our hearts, right? 
And Jesus ends on a proverb. And Jesus said, you know, if we are busy exalting ourselves, we're going to be humbled. You know what he's talking about there? He's not talking about, you know, we, we take that end of that thing. We, we take it out of the parable and we try to apply it some other way. But here's how Jesus is applying the end of the parable. Here's what he's saying. It's the same principle. If we stand before God and we think we're all that in a slice of bread, you are not going to be justified. As a matter of fact, what God will do is God will humble you. See, let me tell you what this Pharisee had. At the end of the day, you know what Jesus said he had? He had a reservation for a spot in hell. He thought he was going to heaven. He thought he was going to stand before God one day. But the reality is, he was not. The reality is, because he exalted himself, he would be humbled one day, ultimately, for all of eternity, lost in hell. That's the parable that Jesus is telling us. Friends, can I just tell you that you and I need to be very careful as we walk as believers in Jesus Christ that we should never take this blessed faith and turn it into a religion. Because the minute we turn it into a religion, here's what we'll do. We'll begin to say, God, I'm good. God, I'm so good. You just can't wait for me to get there. I'm going to make heaven better. And then the other thing we're going to begin to do is we're going to be doing like the church has done for too far too long. We're going to look at the world and we're going to judge the world and say, we are better than you. Like little kids on the playground. Rather than reaching a world who needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I'm here to tell you, the hope for America is the same thing that was the hope in America in the 70s. I saw bumper stickers that used to say, Jesus is our only hope. Amen. You and I must understand Jesus is saying, friends, where's your justification come from? I love the way Kent Hughes ends. He writes his commentary on this passage of scripture. And here's how he sums it up in just one sentence. And I want to give it to you and then I'm, I'm going to pray. And I quote him. He said, do you pray like the Pharisee or like the tax gatherer? He caps it off by saying eternity will tell. Let's pray again. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.